Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Presents True Crime for the Short on Time. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying bite-sized true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, how are you? How's your week been? How are you hanging in there? I'm hanging in there, John. It's been a pretty good week. Nothing too exciting. How are you? How's your week? I'm doing good. Just working, researching. You know, I'm learning that between working my day job and then podcasting, I work like 60 hours a week. So it's a uh, it's a labor of love, but it's a lot of fun. And I'm happy to get to do it with you. So well, we we appreciate it. We as in me and our listeners, because you do do all the heavy lifting. I do it for you. Not the listener. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, I do it because I have a ton of fun doing it. And like I said, this is one of my highlights of my week getting to research these cases and sit down and spend some time talking about them. It's just a lot of fun. And I always leave feeling really happy that we did it. So happy to be here. I'm happy to dive into it. And this week is a short on time episode and it's my week. And I'm going to tell you this. I got some travel coming up. I'm going to be on vacation. I'm short on time, Olivia. I got stuff to do. I know you're short on time. Our listeners are short on time. So should we just jump into the dang thing? Yes, but first, I'm glad you're taking vacation. It's not me this time. It's you. Yeah. Yep. Going to Michigan to see the family. I'm very excited. Yes. Yes. I think we both have very productive Easter's coming up. You're going to see your family. My family's coming to New Orleans. It's a whole thing. But tell us what you got. Yeah, it's going to be a very busy time of year for the Easter Bunny. Going to be doing a lot of traveling for these kids. So, (laughs) 
Well, this week, our short on time case takes place in Green Bay, Wisconsin in August of 1986. Lisa Holstead was 22 years old. She loved horses, both riding and sketching them. She enjoyed hanging out with friends and playing darts in the local taverns. Lisa was shy at times, but she was known to be bold when needed. She was talking about going back to school to get her GED, and one of her favorite things to do was to take her five-year-old son fishing. But unfortunately, tragedy would soon befall the young woman. On August 12, 1986, Lisa Halstead went out drinking with her live-in boyfriend, John Sott. The couple visited several taverns before heading home, and at some point during the drive, Lisa and John got into an argument. Now, somewhere between 1.30 and 2 a.m., Lisa exited the vehicle at an intersection. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever been in the car with somebody and been in an argument and like, I'm getting out of the car? Is that anything you've ever done? Probably nothing that I can really recall where I actually got out of the car and ended up walking anywhere. But I'm sure I threatened it at some point. I have never been in a situation where it's happened. But my best friend, his girlfriend at the time had had a little too much to drink. And he was sober driving her home. They got into an argument and they were on the interstate doing like 70. And she tried to open the door and like, I'm leaving. And he had to reach over, like slam the door, turned on the child locks to make sure she couldn't unlock the door, try it again. But I was like, that would be terrifying. But in this, in this case, it sounds like they stopped at a red light and she was like, I'm getting out. Now, 12 hours later, when Lisa hadn't returned home, a missing persons report was filed. Sadly, Lisa's body was found only one hour after she had been reported missing. Her body had been dumped in a marsh on the northwest side of Green Bay. She was only partially clothed and she had been raped and strangled to death. Now, the community was shocked, but the police had little to go on. And although working diligently, the case went cold, but they didn't give up. Now, back in 1986, police were able to locate and preserve DNA from Holstead's body. Unfortunately, they were never able to find a match. But in October of 2020, something finally cracked. Now we're going to go back to 2019 where Detective David Graff with the Green Bay Police Department decided that he was going to use DNA evidence recovered from the 86 crime scene to begin a genetic genealogy investigation. And I don't know if you've picked up on this yet because we've done a few of these, but I love these kind of cases. Yeah, don't spit in the tubes. Don't send in your DNA if you're going to commit a murder. (laughs) <laughs> Unless you've done something horrible, then go ahead and spit and let him. I mean, get I, you. my spit's already there, so. I know my sister ruined it. My for hands me. are tied. <laughs> I can never commit a crime. I'm screwed. <laughs> now, Detective Graff had been familiar with the case for some time, and he would often revisit it in his downtime. And from what I understand, this is a pretty common thing with homicide detectives, especially if there's an open cold case. A lot of the times, it seems like detectives will get fascinated with something, and they're like, "I'm going to crack this," and they put in the extra hours when they're not working on anything active, which I think is kind of interesting. He had truly hoped that he could find the person who took the life of Lisa Holstead. Now, as we've covered before on the podcast, Detective Graff began using open source DNA websites to try to build a family tree. From there, Graff was able to build a list of people who may have been related to the killer. Now, according to Detective Graff, once you have those names, it's really a boots on the ground operation. You knock on doors, conduct interviews, and you look for additional evidence and witnesses. And using this technology paired with good old-fashioned detective skills, they were able to narrow their list of suspects down to one man, Lou Archie Griffin. In 1981, Griffin was arrested and sentenced to prison for second-degree sexual assault of a child. By 1986, he was on parole and living in the Green Bay area. And in the fall of 2020, police began watching his home in Racine, Wisconsin. Detectives gathered beer cans and cigarette butts that had been discarded by Griffin. They took those cans and cigarette butts and had them tested. 
and the DNA that they recovered from Griffin was a match to the DNA left on Lisa Holstead's body. Now, at this point, detectives accompanied by federal, state, and local officers promptly arrested and charged Griffin with the murder. On January 27, 2023, Griffin pled no contest to an amended charge of homicide by reckless conduct. According to the police, Griffin was cooperative and voluntarily went to the sheriff's office to talk. He also shared that he believes that he may have had sex with Lisa Holstead on that night in August of 86, but he denied killing her. He also shared that he had taken cocaine and had been drinking alcohol the night that she was murdered. Now, under the United States Constitution, a person has the right to be tried and sentenced in the accordance with the laws at the time that they committed the offense. Because of this, the now 67-year-old Griffin was sentenced to 10 years in prison on March 27th of 2023. So I think this is a really big call out because I want to put this into perspective. If Griffin were to plead no contest to the charge of homicide by reckless conduct today, he'd be sentenced to a maximum of 40 years in prison. So I want to stop and kind of pick your brain. What do you think about that to me? Because to me, that's crazy. It's like, I don't care if you committed the crime 30 years ago, you should be charged by modern standards if this is where we caught you doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. I mean, in the case of murder, I 100% agree with that. I don't necessarily think that that should be the case in like other charges, maybe. I don't know. But in murder, you you murdered somebody. You should be in prison. Yeah, and I agree. And like, you know, if you're looking at a charge like shoplifting, I don't know what the big difference in sentencing would be between, you know, a shoplifting conviction in 86 between now. now. Yeah. But it feels like 10 years just isn't enough. Isn't you know? enough. No, not at all. Not for the life of someone. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And in fact, the presiding judge even called the sentence a compromised outcome. But to the family of Lisa Holstead, it was nothing more than a miscarriage of justice. Now, Lisa was a single mother to her son, Jeremy, and he had to sit with his aunt in the courtroom and face down the man who took his mother's life from him nearly 40 years ago. And in my research, one thing that stood out to me that just broke my heart, this kid was five when his mother was killed Mm. and he just took it really hard. Like Lisa's mother gave an interview where he was like, you know, I had asked for a bike for Christmas. That's what I asked my mom for, but someone killed her. So I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to get that bike. Or if they were watching something on TV and there was a bad guy, he would ask his grandmother, is that the man who killed my mom? So just thinking about the impact that this had. And then now years and years later, you're sitting in court with a guy who actually did it, you know? Yeah. As an adult too. Yeah. Now, when it was all said and done, Jeremy said, if he wanted a 1986 sentencing, he should have turned himself in in 1986. If you get caught in 2023, you serve your time in 2023. He also added, I do have some closure. I'm glad the court process is done and we do have a name and face for the person who killed my mother. Lisa's sister and Jeremy's aunt Susan said after the sentencing, for us being in 2023 and having to bounce back to 1986 laws where he's only doing 10 years, it's revolting, it's disgusting. And while the outcome didn't necessarily match what the family was hoping, the arrest and sentencing of Lou Archie Griffin officially put an end to Green Bay's oldest cold case. So that's what I got for you for our short on time episode. What are you thinking? What do you think of the case? Where you at? Yeah, this one is interesting. I couldn't agree more with Lisa Holstead's son saying if he wanted to be charged and doing time from 1986, he should have given himself away and turned himself in in 1986. But that's not the case. I don't think that a man should only serve 10 years for murdering someone. But I also would be interested in to know, like, in the hour that she was missing, what was he doing? 
Like, did he just happen to be there? Was he looking to murder somebody that night? Like, I just don't understand how that could happen so quickly. That's literally like the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, well, and she had been missing for 12 hours before anybody filed the missing persons report. And she was found within an hour of the missing person. Okay, that makes more sense. So there was a 12 hour window where, you know, who knows, maybe she was walking and ran into him or. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I misread. I misheard that. And he's also talking like, hey, I was doing a bunch of cocaine. I was drinking all night. Who's you to know say what? she didn't meet him at a bar? She was at a, you know, went and was mad and. Yeah, she just got into a fight with her boyfriend. Okay. She didn't want to go home. I'm going to go drink again, you know. And I think those are the questions that probably haunt the family. Right. Is like what happened that led to this. But I thought this was a really interesting case. Number one, because, you know, I love the cold cases where people think they're getting away with it for so long. And then. This DNA genealogy comes back to bite you in the ass. Excuse yep. my French. No, 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 no. Just squeeze the pizza. That's the only French I know. <laughs> it just means I am a pizza. Um, but I love that in the end they are getting it. And I'm sure that, you know, for the judge, for the prosecutor, it's we can guarantee this 10 years and make sure that there's some sort of penalty or some time that he has to serve. Or we could risk going to trial and he served nothing. You know, so I think when they're talking about a compromised outcome, like yeah. I get it because you want to give the family something, but it's just hard when all that time has passed, you know? Right. Because the only thing they have tying him to it is DNA, which I mean, your DNA is your DNA, but they don't have any other physical evidence against him. No. So I don't know what the case would be built against him. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And he could very well be like, I had consensual sex with her and then she left and I don't know what happened after that. And if you take that, yeah, if you take that to trial, that's what you're having to prove. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a hard place to be, but it is good to know that at the end of the day, like the family now knows who did it and that there is something, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to ask you deadbolt test. What are you thinking? Where are you putting this at? I'm going to put it at a six. Okay. Tell me a little bit about why. This kind of takes me back to when hitchhiking was a thing. And again, you asked me if this had ever happened to me. And like I said, I probably have threatened it. I'm I'm getting out. As soon as we get where we're going, I'm done. Or, you know, being melodramatic about a fight. But if I actually ever got out of the car and this were to happen, that's terrifying to me as a young woman. Not even a single young woman, but as a young woman, that's terrifying. I just have so many questions as to where she went, how she encountered Lou, and what went wrong. And like, is this the only person he's ever murdered? Like, I just have so many unanswered questions about it. I think it's a six. It's a good case. I could put it higher. I don't really know. I'm putting it kind of right there in the middle. Yeah, that's interesting to me because I imagine like with you living in New Orleans, because the other thing that really struck me is like, we are thinking about this in modern times, right? Like if you got into a fight with a friend and got out of the car now, you've got your cell phone, you've got your GPS. This is 1986 where it's like, if I can't find a payphone, like I'm just trucking until I see someone I know or I make it home, you know? Right, right, yeah. When I was researching this, I was like, well, you know, I'm sure there's been plenty of nights in New Orleans where like Olivia's been walking down the street like one, two in the morning. You know, so I thought this would hit a little bit higher, but I after try not to do down, that anymore, John. It's a dangerous city in which I live in. But there have been many a nights where I have been out and in parts of town that I shouldn't have been at that time and in the morning regretted every decision about it, but made it home safely. I think we've yeah, all done that. That's just the perils of being young. I think yeah. we've all done that where there's been there's been a couple of times in my life where I'm like, Oh, I could have died. Like, thank God I did not die. Yeah. Which we won't talk about here because, you know, I don't want to incriminate myself, but just happy to be alive. 
But yeah, you can't talk about your old past because right. your DNA genealogy is going to come and get you. That's right. Thanks, sister, for <laughs> spitting in a tube. But yeah, I thought I was I'm surprised. I thought it was going to be a little bit higher. But I got to say, I'm 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 putting this at about a six or a seven. And I'll go with the seven because, you know, my wife works downtown Nashville. You know, it's a busy city. Stuff happens there all the time. And that's like a legitimate fear of mine is that she'll be walking out to her car or something like that. And, and someone will try to, you know, do something funny, you know, and that part of the story hit home for me. I'm not worried about anybody doing anything to me, but it's that idea of like, you're hurting my family member, you're hurting my wife, you know, a loved one. That's where it, it resonates with me a little bit there. So I'm going to put it at seven, but I'm very interested in your response. I find it super interesting. I, I really did think it was going to be a little bit higher. I know it could have been. I also try not to think too much about the danger in which I live amongst every day, but I'm always hyper aware every single day. The city is making me age. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test for this week's episode. Olivia surprisingly is putting this at a six. I'm coming in at a seven, but we want to know where does the murder of Lisa Halstead fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram, check the locks pod, find us on Twitter, check the locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We want to get to know you. And if you're interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Sign up today. We have a lot of great tiers. We got exclusive stickers, coffee mugs, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. So if you're really into what we do, you want to help us grow, you want to help us keep the lights on, becoming a patron is the best way to do that. And if you can't financially support us, that definitely makes sense. Just listening and hanging out with us every week, sharing the show with your friends and family means just as much, if not more. So if you're listening every week, you're coming and hanging out with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Share a link with your friends. Let them know about the show. Tell them to tune in. We would love to have them as part of our family. That is all that we have for you this week, but please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying, but bite-sized true crime case. Until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week.